Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. I'm already recording, Anthony. Ah, you're already recording. I just you? record when I get out of bed in the morning these days, so as not to miss anything. You are a 24-hour influencer, aren't you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got paint on my phone. Look. Oh, you've been at it, haven't you? Emulsion. Uh, anim- you've, you've been emulsioning. I have been emulsioning. I was looking for an emoji, and uh, so I typed emulsion to see if anything came up, and then hit send. I don't know why. Oh, I see. I was looking for some form of paint-based emoji. Oh, that's why I replied gloss. I yeah, th- no, I thought your reply was lovely. I thought it was a new vibe we'd got going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, yes, I don't know what to do now. Undercoat will have to come on the next one, won't Eggshell. Primer. <laughs> Are we just going to list all the words we've heard of to satin, do with decorating? Satin mat. <laughs> Masking. <laughs> oh, I say. No, you've strayed now. You've gone into other other products. Have I? Pharaoh and Ball. We're going to have a Pharaoh and Ball today. So we are. I wonder if they'd like to sponsor us. TCD173. TCD173. Um, yes, well, they should. A bit mm. late in my case. But, no, it'd be nice, actually, because we've done our exterior in Farrow and Ball, I think. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Stupidly dear. Uh, yes. That's before you paid the stupidly dear geezer to put it on as well. Oh. But oh. he is very good. I've got. And how ne- long will that last, then? Graham Timms, our decorator. He's right. A, he's something of a ninja. I'll give him a plug. Not that there'll be a lot of pe- listeners looking out for a decorator in the Banbury area. But if you are Graham Timms, check him out. I, we broke him, actually. In fact, Vibes broke him because on the very last day of doing the house up, um, I think Lynette had gone somewhere and I was on my own with Little Vibes and something happened. The phone rang or something. I said, oh, Graham, you can't just keep Little Vibes busy for five minutes, can you? And he went, sure, and he he took him across the road onto the green with a football, and he kicked it once and severed his Achilles tendon in that same moment. And all I heard was the scream of agony as as our decorator hit hit the floor. And what was even stranger was at the very, very, very same moment that that all happened, a woman in a very large BMW X whatnot, you know, one of those that are nearly as big as a truck, that ladies of a certain age and fashion seem seem to desperately require to buy a uh-huh. lo- buy a loaf in. Um, she there's a big sort of bell shaped. I don't know what it's made of. I think it's made of metal. Uh, what would you call such a thing? It's like um. 
If it was floating in the sea, which it wouldn't be because it's made of metal, it would be called a buoy. Right. And it's a bit like a, or a, a bollard, which, shall we say, but a big bell-shaped bollard. Well, I think it, we should say bollard whenever we get the opportunity. He's, 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 he's right at the edge of a slightly wider bit of road opposite the shop. In order, right. in order to stop, pe- prevent people driving across the green because the village green, of course, is sacred. Um, whilst the village elders could cope quite well with a man murdering his wife for no particular reason, uh, someone sticking one, one wheel on the green uh, causes outrage on a level you can barely imagine. Anyway, so they've got... <laughs> Have you done it? <laughs> what? <laughs> Have you... Has the mini gone over the corner at some point? Have you felt that rock? I, I couldn't possibly admit to that ever, or, right. I'd, or I'd be uh, drummed out. Did you know that the expression drummed out comes from a custom in small communities of um, gathering around the, the, the house of, say, a couple that were living in sin and unmarried, um, with pots and pans and spoons and banging on them outside that person's house until late into the night, constantly until they leave the village. Did you? Uh, and if that happens, you've been drummed out. Um, so it was a kind of non-violent and yet not very pleasant way of getting rid of people that you no longer wanted in your oeuvre. How do you get rid of people who are deaf then? Eh? How do you get rid of people who are deaf? You probably have to prod them with tenderizers or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, right, yeah, you mean tenderized out. <laughs> Hammered out. <laughs> uh, Cattle prodded out. Yeah. So, anyway, in this exact moment that Graham Timms, the master decorator, yelped snapped his Achilles tendon and fell to the ground, a woman in an enormous BMW X what's-it drove over this enormous bollard with the most amazing shrieking... Boom! So that happened at the same time as Graham went, ah, bang, and fell to the ground. And I watched these two things happen like they'd been, you know, like they'd been acts of God. In the self-same moment, um, inside a lot of conflicting emotions. I mean, first of all, pure joy at watching this woman trash her, her BMW <laughs> and an extreme concern for Graham. Um, and I think it had been all the ladder work, frankly. It wasn't so much kicking the ball, that was the last straw. But he'd been, he'd been up ladders painting, you know, for so long. And, of course, if you're up a ladder, you tend to be on the sort of midway down your foot, don't you, on the rung mm. of the ladder, mm. which puts all your weight on, the, on your Achilles, really. They're taking, they're taking all the weight. And I think that we broke him, basically. Right. But he's mended now, and he does come and stick some farrow and ball occasionally on, uh, on our exterior, and it does need doing again, actually. It's starting to look a little bit tired. Wow, not there's as, so much to unpack. There. Not as tired as me, obvs. Oh, yeah, I think you're looking quite quite sprightly this morning, actually. If I'm being honest. Well, all right. Well, I've had a bit of a, you know, I put my foot down and said, "Look, I really have to rest while I'm here because I it, I can't remember when I last had a thing you could call a break in inverted commas." 
And so I put my foot down and, you know, and, and been, been a bit selfish and lazy. And I probably feel better for it. Hmm. Not morally, <laughs> but physically. Well, we don't want you morally cleansed. That's not going to help us with, with our weekly sessions, is it? It's not going to happen either. No, 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 no. Um, Graham's a solid name for a decorator. Yeah, I would agree. You want with a decorator that. called Graham, don't you? Yeah, you do. And mm. I always think of him as the Reverend Tim's because I think there was a Reverend Tim's in something, some kids' TV program or the Reverend Tim's. There's one for the Purples. Come back to us and tell us where why the Reverend Tim's is in my mind. He's, I think he was in, you know, one of those kids. We've got quite a few purples connected to the cloth, haven't we? Either yeah, we either have. Oh, real, the real proper ones, the, yeah, the, yeah, the real deal, we and then ones that are married as well to to members of the cloth. Surprised they haven't gone off, you know, in uh, in the huff with all the blinking pornography and obscenity and our TikTok railway cop going on. And I think they're using us as an example of the seedy side of life, just to keep <laughs> them more connected. <laughs> Because otherwise, it's all going to be Marks and Spencer's meal deals, and you know. Yes, you don't want you don't want your religion too beige, do you? You don't. No, you want a few. No. And 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 if you think bits. about the sort of the average demographic of the average sort of uh, congregation, they're not ripping it up, are they? No. no so not. maybe you need to stray a little. Right, and to get a, bit a little bit more life, because because clearly we're the cutting edge, aren't we're, we? We're the ne'er do wells. As we talk about Aaron Ball exterior paint, <laughs> cutting edge. <laughs> I'm a real, I'm a real wild child. I must get Iggy on the phone later and discuss colours. Oh, he'd be great on colours. Yeah, Iggy. On the, the, Iggy, have you got the Farrow and Ball colour chart in front of you? I'm, I'm looking for a slight on, on the dock egg side of powder blue. Have you got anything? There? Yeah, man. What you need is uh, number forty-three. Got it all over my Chevy yesterday. Now, are we going to are we going to actually save some time this week? Are we going to use last week's one seven three? Are we going to ask people to just take a pause now and think of what last week's intro? I think. Or we shall we do it again? I think we should ask them to take a pause and think generally. Oh, let's do that then. Let's do that. So, to start this week, we're just going to take a little pause, and you've got to remember back. You ready? Gonna count it in. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to chapter one seven two of the Corona Diaries. Are you sure it's not one seven three? Well, it could be. So let's do one seven three, shall we? I'll just hold my breath. Okay. Hello and welcome to chapter one seven three of the Corona Diaries. Have we started then? <laughs> well, I don't know how long that was going to be. No, neither. Do. Well, I don't know how long it is in. Well, I, we, how, I mean, I've said it. I've said it that many times. I've no idea how long it is. Once we edit, it doesn't matter, does it? Because we'll just. Well, we, could, we could make it an hour. We could. <laughs> we could make it an hour. Oh, uh, I must bit, ask then before we start. Put a big delay on it. Yes. Um. Is is the bollard back? Oh, the bollard was never away. It's totally indestructible. That bollard will be there when the village is gone. It's right. a, just a big thing made out of something utterly indestructible. I think it's steel or iron or something. So 
what was great was that after her BMW had gone brunk bang over it, it was immediately obvious that the only way she could get off the bollard was to reverse and tear the, tear the front of her BMW. <laughs> oh, please tell me a small crowd had gathered. <laughs> I was that small crowd. Anthony. You were. I was. And I, I tried to feign concern for the sake of, you know, face. But I wasn't. I was delighted. Anyway, oh. in the end, I think um, to her credit, and forward thinking, or maybe just to the uh, the level of altruism generally floating around in our village, a um, a farming sort of type geezer came along with a tractor, uh, with one of those big things that they stick in hay bales. Right up there, yes, I know. <laughs> and I think he had some kind of um, an appendage on the front of his tractor. And uh, he managed he managed to oik her BMW up in the air and off the bollard, thereby saving her having to reverse and tear the front of it. So well, your farm-type fellow with yes. an appendage yes. oiked her off. On the That's front of his, his powerful machine. <laughs> his, J, his big JCB. There's no hope for us, is there? <laughs> There's no hope for you. you <laughs> you're laughing as much as I am. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just watching the show here, Anthony. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Which, um, anyway, as we said last anyway. week, seems to have improved. I think the visual quality of Zoom has improved. It's, you're looking particularly detailed. Well, that's not necessarily good, is it? But there, I was going to leave it hanging. I'll stick a bit of Vaseline on my lens. Don't. Right, carry on. There's a bit in the there's a bit in the diary this week where you put something like that in the diary when you oh. put a statement in and then said leave it. <laughs> Do you know I haven't read it this week? Have I, you not read it? I, well, Vibes found a drum machine called a. Uh, hang on a bit. What's it called? Hang on a bit. Oh no, what have I done? No, it's all right. It's called the. Um, it's called the VA. The VA. I can just about hear that. Yeah, it's called the VA Drum Two. Let's try it again. It's a bit of a Michael Jackson groove, I seem to have written by mistake. Isn't it? Anyway. Why I'm nodding, I can't hear it. Oh, okay. Well, you you're not missing much, to be honest. But I, I, he found a drum machine. And so, of course, I, it, it, I, when I when I went to load Logic this morning, it was up on the screen. So then I disappeared down a rabbit hole into a Michael Jackson groove, <laughs> which will be of no use whatsoever in my life, other than you, me going, mm, "Yeah." Mm. You are going to drop it in at the relevant point, aren't you? What the groove? Yeah, I could do. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I think you should. I could could spin a bit. Spin a bit in so that the yeah. people can go, oh, God, is that what he does when he's on his own? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Grief. <laughs> I wonder it takes him five years for an album. <laughs> Without the calming influence of Ian Mosley. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we all need. <laughs> now look. I wonder if Ian calms Lucy or Lucy calms Ian. I wonder which way around it works. Um, 
I should imagine Ian calms Lucy by going out. <laughs> and the rest of the time, Lucy probably has to calm Ian. Right. Maybe it's the dogs that just are the calming influence just, in that house. Yeah, they might be because it's all relative. <laughs> anyway, what I thought we'd talk about yeah, today. Yeah, yes, yes. Because yeah, I haven't yeah, read yes. the diary, so you'll have to fill me in on, on what, where I am and what I've said or, or not bother. Uh, just huh? that I haven't. I've been a bit tardy with me, Michael Jackson groove. Well, I've got uh, the question I've got from the diary, actually, you can answer anyway because it's got nothing to do with the diary itself. It's just. Uh, so that's fine. We can, we can do. We can still do that. But you're in Paris. You're right. uh, obviously coming back after uh, vibes not being. Um, oh yeah, then right, I, well. then I went to Harlem, didn't I? So then yeah. we, we were we were in Paris after that, were we? Yes, you're in oh, Paris after that. I love Paris. I do love mm. it. And you're in your fave hotel as well. Ah, in the Le Relais Montmartre. In the, in your favourite room as well. Ah, the one the one me and Richard did the promo in. Yeah, the the one by the door downstairs, mm. number four, I believe. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. That is my favourite room. That's your favourite. It's a lovely little hotel that. I mean, it's really small, and it's a little bit boutique but the people are so nice there. They're so, so bloody nice. You know, they're the antithesis of the um, the cliched Parisian up, up their own ass, don't give a fuck types. Um, they're not like it's that. It's not a, not a like Parisian John Cleese, then? No, no, it's, it's a much groovier, cooler, welcoming vibe. It's lovely there. Mm. Though I now want to meet a Parisian John Cleese, actually. Yeah. Well, there's probably, there's probably plenty of them. Plenty of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, what we, what I was going to chat about... He's driving a fucking taxi, I tell you. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, uh, we finished on fear, obviously. Excuse my language. Yes, we did, yes. We, we finished on white paper, which we both confidently ascribed as the closer of the album, only to yes. receive a tsunami of corrections. Yes, within literally a nanosecond. Um, didn't even listen to the episode. We just came back and corrected the notes. In, in a... you, you could almost hear the screams of, what? You know, come in the distance. Mm. Mm. And, and obviously you very, very kindly threw me completely under the bus without a moment's thought. In what way? Oh, you're right. I blame Ant. Oh, yeah. Well, I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, back to fear. Back yeah, to fear. Yes. What I thought we could have a quick kind of ponder on is how important fear is in the whole canon of your stuff. And... How important you felt it was at the time versus how important it has ended up being, if that makes any kind of sense. Because it feels like an important album for me. Well, at the time, I was worried about it. And I remember I've got a mate in the village called Brian Howells. And uh, he's Welsh. He's from, he's from. He doesn't talk like this. But I can't even use the word Welsh without going into the, uh, the Terry Wogan. Um, but... Oh, that went a bit Wogan then, didn't it? I don't think that's Welsh. Anyway, Brian is a bit of a chump, and he's from Pembrokeshire, and he doesn't have a Welsh accent, but he's um, he's extremely Welsh in the sense that, um, you know, he goes back to Pembrokeshire all the time, and he talks a lot about Pembrokeshire and his, his childhood and, 
you know, and and the place in he's always bigging it up and going there. And uh, I've been Lynette and I have been there, and had a few days out there with him and his wife Heather, and it's a lovely spot to be sure, uh, Pembrokeshire. And I think we've had a few uh, submissions as well for is it Tenby Beach? There's a very good bandstand, according to the Baroness and various other purples. So um, I was in the pub one night with Brian and he said, how's it going? You know, while, while we were jamming and putting the jams together, actually, at that point and actually working on what, what were fast becoming finished songs. And I said, I, I, I don't know, mate, I've, I've, I've really gone for it and I'm having a go at England. And I'm having a go at, I'm having a go, just generally. And I, I don't know if it's, if it's too much, if I'm just going to sound like some kind of street corner, you know, someone stood on a bucket, some not a, you know, Hyde Park corner, uh, sounding off. Um, and Brian said, um, I'm sure it'll be great, he said. And... I don't know if he was just trying to comfort me, but I was genuinely worried about what I was saying in in uh, the New Kings, particularly, and also in El Dorado. I was quite worried about how personal White Paper was as well, and you know, feeling oh, have, have I really overstepped the mark here? Because um, there's got to be a point where it becomes uncomfortable to listen to something. Um, that's you know too confessional um but i i don't think i've found the line yet <laughs> god knows god knows i thought i'd crossed it several times but it, it would seem i haven't yet so i was i was worried about a lot of what was on fear i wasn't worried about the levers but i was worried about everything else uh and how it would be responded to but in a way, that's a good sign because it, it means you're not treading water. Um, it, you know, you're about to throw something out there. that, And I had exactly the same feeling when we made Brave, when, uh, when I was listening to Megan mixing Brave, and it had a kind of rawness about it, a lot of it, that just, you know, Marillion had never sounded like that. Um Holidays in Eden was a much smoother sort of sounding record. Season's End was a bit like old Marillion, you know, with a new bloke singing on it, a lot of it. And Brave was suddenly this other thing. And I was sat behind the desk with Megan when he was mixing it, thinking, shit, what are they going to make of this? And I think, a lot, you know, as I've said before, I think a lot of people heard that album and went, that's it, I'm out. I'm done. Uh, certainly a lot of Germans, because overnight our record sales in Germany fell off a cliff. Um, so I think there was a feeling that what the hell's happened to Marillion, which, you know, paradoxically, we now have people in their droves coming to us saying, oh, bra that Brave's a masterpiece, that was a defining moment for you guys. So I think that... Over time, you know, perhaps people reassess things that they couldn't cope with when they first heard them. And that maybe even includes me, you know, when I'm writing them. Um, 
brave doesn't really, you know, when looking back doesn't seem radical at all now because we've we've moved into so many different places since. And maybe Marillion.com was more radical in its own way. Um, and I think fear was was um, another one of those moves somewhere else, from somewhere else. Was that before fear? No, that was uh, sounds that can't be made, wasn't it? But it was a, mm. mo- a move away from sounds that can't be made, I think. Not, you know, musically as well as lyrically. Um, Interesting, though, I can plot a journey from Gaza to fear quite. Right. As in Gaza the track. Mm-hmm. In terms of, in terms of like you're saying, how forthright you were on a topic, but also there's something musically I can plot from, from those two. Now, Gaza was the last thing to be written for sounds, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It arrived very late. It wasn't even meant to be there. But we kind of recon, you know, we we made time to finish it and put it on the album because everybody felt it was super strong, mm. and didn't want we didn't want to leave it on the shelf, so we you know we we spent extra time on it and finished it and put it on. So if there, it would kind of make sense that there would be a there would be a place musically at least where where parts of Gaza end where, where fear would have begun hmm. those would be the two points that would join those two uh, you know that and maybe new kings rather would be the ones that would join for me if you were to right. try and well, that's map those two things or bridge them it's so hard for me to comment about you know it's easier for you because you just hear these things cold and you you know yeah. you, you go what's this you know, I'd better listen to that again. Um, and then you hopefully get into it and, you know, it either takes you somewhere or it doesn't or you, or you think, wow, this is great, or you don't. Um, but I, I I, will never have that luxury because I've always been the guy painting the picture uh, and the guy conscious of every, you know, every... Um, every alt- alternative decision we could have made, you know, oh, that corner might needn't have been green, it could have been blue, you know, and there's there's always that. There's always the... It takes you a long, long time when you've painted the picture to look at it and to see it as a picture rather than all the alternatives that, that you pondered when you were putting it together. And sometimes you can't even remember which ones you left in and which ones you took out. You know, oh, did we? Oh, God, yeah, we got rid of that bit, you know, and then, oh, we put that bit in there. Yeah, oh, I remember. Oh, I remember. Oh, I wrote another verse. Oh, shit, so I did, you know. So it's like a big cloud of options um, in your mind for quite a long time after. And then it slowly solidifies and gels into a thing without any options anymore, just a statement in time that's sort of nailed on the wall, um, that takes a while. Oh, so. plus we hear them chronologically. I mean, we, you know, you hear an album and then you hear the next album. But the, in terms of the songwriting process, we could be hearing things that are five years, original ideas five years back. So that, the, it, it, that muddies the water a little bit in terms of the development. Well, yes, uh, and that—that's what is really becoming obvious. Is uh, 
is it James who keeps going up going up in the roof and mm. nicking all the dats and taking them away and then every now and again he'll email me and he'll go, oh, I've got a, I've got I've got a jam of Estonia here from nineteen twenty-three. Yeah. I go, What? We hadn't written that then. He goes, oh, I think you'll find you had. <laughs> so it's it's coming as a constant source of surprise. But you certainly I say for me, you can certainly hear which which and Gaza is it is interesting because we know Gaza came late and we know there's not a lot of carryover interfere of 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 older stuff. So you you know, you can plot that path that path through. Mm. I think it's a really I th- I thought it felt like a um seminal's probably the wrong word, but it felt like an important piece of work when it came out and it still feels like an important important really important piece of work now. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. Um it's so hard for me to comment because you know, on the inside looking out, you just you do your best. You try and you tr- you try and say something important and true, or that's true for you. Um, you know, that's that's not in any way calculating, and is just an expression of a feeling, or if not your own feeling, something you've witnessed in others. Um, and then you go, you know, then I cross my fingers and just hope to God somebody gets it and I felt like that with fear just as I felt like that with Brave probably more than any other albums Hmm. at the same time it seemed to coalesce with I mean if you take if you take fear take the the reviews that came out of uh, at the time I remember having a chat with Rothers doing recording a bit of footage with Rothers at the time and he was very positive about the reaction it had got and positive about it as a statement. And then, of course, Albert Hall comes along, which all ties into the same thing. And then there's that incredible night at, you know, I mean, I only came to the first one, that incredible night at the Albert Hall. And it just felt like it was a not a career sort of pinnacle, but it felt like an arrival of some description. I don't know how else to, to put it, really. Suddenly, very com- band very comfortable with themselves, you know, really strong piece of work, and then everything just seemed to to click and and fall together. It was certainly a very kind of proud evening. I mean, selling the Albert Hall out on its own is a is a, a you know makes you feel proud proud of yourself or of the band of the band of the fans. You know, you, you're proud of them for turning up and making the journey because a lot of people came so far for that show. Um, and so, you know, when we called it All One Tonight, I mean, obviously that's a reference to to a line in The Leavers, which I've got a feeling Mike Hunter came up with. I think, he, I think he's come up with about three lines of lyric ever. And I, th- I think I think he... I mean, I don't know if I... He's, he either pushed me into... Writing, writing that little section, or he, or or he wrote it <laughs> and said, "What about this?" And I would, yeah, go on then, I'll give it a go. And he'll probably deny that, and he might even be right in denying it because I might have written it, but I can't remember. But I know there was a section, the, or maybe maybe it was his his idea to sing "We Come Together" as an like an anthem. That might have been it. Maybe I wrote all one tonight, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But the, the 
the word that that line all one tonight um, was perfect f- to describe that evening because we uh, we we kind of were it was it was like everybody should have been proud of that not just the band but everyone in that in the building um, and it was an e- extremely lovely night I mean probably even lovelier to look back on than than mm. to there were moments in it where I could just as as I've said many times there were there were little moments where the uh the six classical players had a little moment to themselves where I could just stand and listen uh where I could relax and they were brief but they were they're really treasured um so there were moments in the the evening that were you know people have people have been asking me while I've been doing this little Swedish tour people have been submitting questions and they've they've all said you know what what's your what's your favorite career moment and i think there were moments in that show that were it you know it wasn't about oh yeah there's 60,000 people in this stadium or um it it wasn't that it was it was just a moment of exquisite beauty that i remember thinking wow you know i'll never forget this this who this is one of those that will flash before me at the end and um where am i going what was i saying uh yes albert hall all one tonight it, it, it was you were saying it was some kind of pinnacle and it felt like that to me as well it felt mm. like um like a coming together of 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 everything we'd sort of striven for. A bit like, you know, if we had a if we had a if we had a huge hit album that it would probably feel like that. You'd probably think, well we've been striving all of these years and we've finally been recognised, you know, by the mass market. And that would probably be a pleasure for about ten minutes. And then it would be a colossal pain in the arse from that moment forward. So I don't lie awake wanting that particularly, but what what I could have laid awake wanting was was that gig, and we got it. But I was so nervous at the prospect of playing uh, Rah for the first time. It, it it was a very it was I, you know the the sense of occasion was colossal when I first walked walked through the stage door off the street in the afternoon into the building and there was you know the hive of activity that was going on in on the stage and all the crew putting the lighting rig up and uh putting the back line up that sense of my god you know that this this is a big deal and we better get it right and uh, so I was. I think we were all. We'd all got butterflies that day. Um, but there were moments during the show which were and, worth all of it. And I think this is the bit that I was kind of joining together with the album because it felt like the right show with the right album to be to be taking centre stage. So it felt like the album almost was part of the whole process that brought about that gig. Because you're right, in, in one respect, it's not like it was a, a pinnacle necessarily. It was like 
we've made it. We've all got here. We've all, we've all got here. We've all got here for this, this really special evening. And the years of, of gigs up and down the country and, the, and, and, and everything that's happened has almost been preparing us for this, this moment. Yeah. And, and, and that, that was definitely a sense in the audience without a shadow of a doubt. Well, as well, for me, you know, if I'm being selfish, it was a, a kind of vindication as well because I'd been banging on since I met the band about playing R.A.H., and I remember the voice saying, oh, why would you want to do that? It sounds like a shed, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, what about Wembley? What about Wembley? I'm thinking, oh, Christ, you know, Wembley, Schmembley. I'm talking about the Royal Albert Hall here. Mm. And they just didn't get it. I think they get it now. But until we did it, I don't think they really got it. Um, and the other thing that took them a, a long time to get their heads round was, you know, having some real strings, having some, you know, not, not out of a sampler, proper people scraping on violins. <laughs> and I'd been banging. You know, that had been a private ambition. So suddenly I'd got everything I wanted at once. You, you know, I was in the, the great hallowed Royal Albert Hall with the lovely string quartet, the fabulous Emma Halnan playing flute, the fabulous Sam Morris playing French horn, and and Mike Hunter's fabulous arrangements, you know, so that when the six of them played together, it was just so beautiful. Um, so having that and having uh, and being in that place was 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 a lot of my little dreams coming together in one moment as well. Um, mm. And I didn't have a lot of time to savour it because I was working and I was busy trying to get everything right, um, which is what you do, you know, when you play live. You're not just out there having a good time. You, you're, you're trying to get a lot of shit right at once. Um, so you have a lot on your mind. You have a lot going on in your head, that you, a lot of boxes to tick. Because we're not a we're not a blues band, you know. You can't play that stuff in your sleep. You you, you ha you've got to consider a lot of different things at once. Uh, but in those moments when I could just stop and listen, I was in heaven. Hmm. Right, and and as I say, to me, fears associated with memories like that. And I think it was the right album to be able to do that show with. I think I think that show needed an album like that. Um, you know, so it all just felt like it all it all came together. Shall we shall we tip to offer a bit of diary? Oh yes. I'd almost forgotten that. Um let's 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 bob to Paris, as you do. Let's pop to Paris. Oh, how lovely. Thursday, 14th of November, Paris, Bataclan. Had a bit of a lie-in. Went down to breakfast around 11. I was more or less alone. Munched my way through French bread, a little bit of cheese and a little bit of marmalade and some coffee. Returned to my room and read a little more. I'm trying to finish The Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe in time for the book club meeting back in the village next week. It was my idea, so the least I can do is read the book. 
popped out and walked along the Rue des Abbesses in Montmartre, looking for a pair of glasses for the invisible man. It's not every day you can say that. We are opening the set with this song on this tour, and at the last show in Rouen, I managed to drop them and later stamp on them. A new pair will be required. I don't need anything expensive, just something that looks quite old-fashioned. Paris is a good city to go shopping for spectacles. There are many opticians selling really stylish and peculiar glasses. I tried on quite a few. Some were just the ticket, but of course very expensive, at around €300. Euros. I didn't need anything so dear. Eventually found what I needed in a pharmacy on Rue des Abbesses, only €16. Euros. That's more like it. I returned to Le Relais to find Pete, Steve and Mark waiting for a taxi. I quickly packed and joined them, but halfway to the Bataclan I realised I'd left my phone charger plugged in the wall back at the hotel. I dived out of the taxi and returned. Fortunately, this meant I was able to buy some gloves in a shop around the corner. I had noticed the gloves earlier, but the shop was closed. It was now open, so I popped in and bought them. Soft black leather gloves with little zips at the back. Quite rock and roll, and yet quite unusual. Leave it. Arrived at the Bataclan, said hello to Laurent, who runs the fan club, and Lionel, who turns up every night and gives us wine and made my way to the dressing room. This, I remembered, is the dressing room where Mark had the marshmallows on his head. He could have done with them again today. The now legendary, characterful and character-building keyboard rig was to throw today's curve, fortunately during soundcheck. Eventually Mark traced the problem to a faulty memory card on one of his master keyboards. Fortunately, he had a spare one. Unfortunately... It was out of date. This meant the current info had to be reconfigured from a computer. This took him about an hour while we hung around with fingers crossed. Eventually all seemed well and we ran through Montreal and Poor My Love, the former being declared too clunky to perform and the latter declared airworthy and included in tonight's set in favour of Beautiful. I returned to the bus for a pre-show nap. The show itself was really enjoyable. The wonderful Parisian crowd were once again living up to their reputation. The reception after The Invisible Man was rapturous and the atmosphere remained electric in the heart throughout. The keyboards behaved and the band played well. My voice is holding up well on this albeit short tour, but I seem to experience none of the problems which began last year in America. I'm singing as well as ever. I'd really begun to think I was losing it. It's a huge relief. Afterwards, I chatted to our promoter, Laurent, who appeared with a bottle of Ruinard champagne. Not a big fan of champers, although I did taste one many years ago that was lovely. Slightly cognac-y tasting. Never found out what it was called. I was at a millionaire's house at the time, so it was probably something special and prohibitively pricey. But you have to join in with these rituals when generously extended. Returned downstairs and signed a few things. The Bataclan has its own cafe out on the street in front of the gig, so I went and joined the Italians for an Irish coffee or two. Got on the bus and went to bed dangerously close to that line, but thankfully not quite. Friday, 15th of November, Cologne. 
woke up around nine and went downstairs to have a look out of the bus window. Was greeted by the sight of an industrial wasteland. I hadn't seen anything quite this bleak since we played the shipyard in Gdansk, Poland. Outside there appeared to be an enormous hopper for storing minerals or grain. The weather wasn't helping. It was grey and oppressive. I exited the bus to see we were at the side of a river. That'll be the Rhine then. There was a huge bird-shaped crane in view and various old grey warehouses. The gig itself, Essig Fabric, must be some kind of converted old factory. Should we still be playing gigs like this after all these years? I suppose I should be grateful it's sold out, but I sometimes wonder if we shouldn't be setting our sights a little higher. We're not a punk rock band after all. I decided to get the hell out of there. I'm told there's a tram into town at the end of the street, so I grabbed my laptop and diaries and headed for the tram. Got on the first one I could, and upon inquiring, was told it was heading out of town. Got off, crossed the street, and got the next one into town, using the river and the constant presence of the famous twin-spired dome cathedral to get my bearings. Had a slow brunch in the Hard Rock Cafe. The food wasn't great. I think they franchised all these out a few years back now. I've eaten in the Hard Rocks in Amsterdam, Mexico City, London and Cologne recently, and the food's been pretty dreadful. It used to be great. Shame. Having said that, the staff in the Hard Rock Café Cologne couldn't have been more friendly and pleasant, especially the guy on the door who was from London and an absolute diamond. At one point, as I was trying to pick through the contents of the chicken club sandwich, I was approached by a couple who had tickets for tonight's show. I dutifully made small talk, signed their ticket and smiled for the camera. My teeth were probably full of food debris. Classy. Walked up through the pedestrianised area of shops to Media Market and tried to buy electric toothbrushes for Lynetta and I. Ours are getting old and I think the batteries are going. It took a while to find electric toothbrushes but I eventually did. Unfortunately, the model on display, which I thought would be good, was not in stock in set colour, so I decided against it. Bought Lynetta a charger lead for her new iPhone instead, and then installed myself in a hotel cafe by the Roman Museum to drink hot chocolate and write the diary. Returned to the venue by tram around four. They're just beginning to build the Christmas markets, one up against the dome and the other in the street to the south between Altermarkt and Hermarkt. I've been to these markets many times. I was once shamefully sick all over Jörg Baker's bathroom floor after a particularly good night out here on the Egg Punch. Sadly, we're here a bit too early this year. I usually buy tree decorations. I have a solo show in Krakow coming up on December 2nd, so there'll be every opportunity to invest in a bauble there. Back at the gig, sound checks seemed to go smoothly. My sound was good, especially considering we're playing an old factory. Went to catering for a bit of dinner. Steak and chicken in sauce, very yummy. Back on the shelf for pre-gig and escape from the gig, snooze, and then into battle. Tonight just might have been the best show of the tour. Hardcore fan Sabina certainly said so, and she's been to all of them. 
Someone shouted for Montreal at one point, and as we'd ran it at the Paris soundcheck, and especially as native Montreal and Jordan Zivitz caught my eye in that moment, I thought, what the fuck, let's give it a go. Mark K gave it the all-clear programming-wise, and off we went. I think we played it better than we ever have, either live or in rehearsal. The rest of the night was terrific too. There has always been a great vibe for the band here. Cologne never lets us down. Afterwards, I chatted briefly with old chums Jörg and Alex before returning to the bus and my little cell to finish the bonfire of the vanities. Saturday, 16th of November. Uden Markont. I was hoping for a traditional cobbled Dutch town like Harlem, a beautiful old square and a cafe to sit in. I looked out of the window of the bus at some kind of funky Milton Keynesish car park in fairly dense fog. I asked around and the general consensus was that Uden didn't really have much going on at all. I eventually clambered out of the bus and round the corner and found a small modern street with a handful of shops and a delicatessen with, bizarrely, a chicken rotisserie outside on the street, a solarium and a funny little cafe in which I eventually installed myself. The cafe was staffed by people with Down syndrome. This worked quite well once you were hip to it. One of the waitresses kept involuntarily bending double and crying out. I got used to it, although I found it set me asking questions of myself and my attitudes. Never a bad thing, and I admire the town for giving it a go. I ordered hot chocolate, which eventually went cold during the time I spent writing in the diary. I returned across the street to the gig. This is a modern and recently built venue. We were later to meet the architect, who was, surprisingly, female and looked more like a model. I guess I was expecting the stereotype middle-aged bloke in half-lens spectacles in a Paul Smith cravat. Phil Brown says the room is one of the most acoustically dead he has ever encountered in his life. My stage sound at Soundcheck wasn't bad, though. We didn't spend any longer than we had to. Everything is just about set by now, and our monitor man Nick Todd is well on top of his gig. Had a spot of dinner and catering and returned to the bus to relax. The show was, again, really good. The band played well and I sang well. I hadn't been happy with Gaza last night in Cologne. I couldn't seem to get inside its skin, but it was much better tonight and I remained focused inside it. The crowd seemed quiet. I couldn't tell if it was the acoustic properties of the room making it hard for us to hear any crowd noise or whether they were just a bit half-hearted. At times like this you have to forget about the crowd and focus on the music. If the music's right, it's right and the crowd will feel that for what it is. Overall, I preferred the show at my end tonight, although I have to concede that last night in Cologne was the occasion. Afterwards, I chatted to guests backstage in catering, and also to the local promoter who remembered promoting the Europeans in Holland 30 years ago. Phew. I was just getting settled down into a social when Frenchie announced we had to leave. We return to England tonight, and it's foggy, so we have to be cautious if we're to make the Channel Tunnel reservation. After the bus was underway, I sat for a while chatting to Niall and Marcus, the drum tech. Marcus wasn't looking forward to going home. 
I told him I have learned that life is too short to be unhappy and that he must free himself if he's to be any use to anyone. Of course, it's all easier said than done. He filled my pockets full of chocolate mice as we talked. Eventually, I went to bed and was in a deep sleep when we all had to get up and show passports to the border inspectors. I followed Jens through. I'd keep an eye on him if I were you, he said. They let me in, though. The fools. Arrived back at the racket club around 9am and loaded all my stuff into the mini while the bus driver surreptitiously attached furry dice to my rear-view mirror. Very nice. I'm not sure Lynetta's going to like them. Returned home in my Mini Cooper along the country lanes of Middle England on a bright morning, furry dice bobbing away in the window. And we're back! (laughs) And we'll we'll wrap up fairly quickly, because actually we, we talked for quite a while about... About fear and various bits there, and REH and this and the other. Um, one question from the diary. I could, well, I could ask you two because you said you were reading the Bonfire of the Vanities because that was your choice for the book club in the village. Ah, yes. Did you manage to bluff your way through that? Some will bl- bluff my way. <laughs> well, you'd not finished it at that point. Had I not? No. Oh, oh, I did finish it. I did finish it. Um, yeah, I did. Yes. What a great book. What I've never read it, book. actually. Oh, Get stuck into that. It's fantastic. Right, I, I I think that's the book the the old trading place not trading place trading places was it called that the Eddie Murphy thing the yeah. movie yeah Dan Aykroyd Eddie Murphy yeah I think the they kind of rip rip that movie from that it was this this sense of um you know um very very wealthy and um, successful man being reduced. To nothing um, by a set of fleeting circumstances that just, you know, boom, 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 combine to completely destroy him. <laughs> and it's it's his fault, as it often is, but it is, it, you know, it, it could only have happened if various coincidences and other people's agendas coincided to totally bring him down. And, um, it's it's an interesting book. It's worth a read. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. But you, but obviously, when you did book club with your recommendation, you were eloquent and you were um, all the things you need to be at a book club meeting. <laughs> Christ alone knows, to be honest. Or did you just look out the window and go, "Bloody hell, somebody's just hit that bollard"? <laughs> yes. Enough about this. Did anybody see that woman drive that BMW <laughs> over that bollard last week? Um, no, I think we had a good discussion. I think it went down well. A couple of people probably complained about the length of it. It's, it's quite a long book. And obviously for the book club, you don't really want some somebody going, what about this? It's only 800 pages long, you know. Because mm. um, I've done that a couple of times. I did that with a bit of Dickens as well. I think I had um, David Copperfield I, I pulled out at one point. That was actually really well received, but um, it, it is bloody long. It's a tome, isn't it? It is, but it's great. Yeah. You know, it, it's a light. At no point, it, it's not like Tolstoy. You don't feel like you're wading through it at any point. It's sort of light-hearted in a way. 
all the time, you know. I love Dickens. He's a great writer. Anyway, back to the one question I've got. The Hello. one question I've got, because it comes up twice in the diary. When, at what point, did Irish coffees become a thing? Oh, well, I kind of went through an Irish coffee phase. I always think of Holland when I think of Irish coffees, which, well, I don't know if that sounds odd. I, it always takes me straight to the lightest plane. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Lightest plane, lightest plane. There's a little square um, next to what used to be the American Hotel, which practically lived in from time to time and it's now called the hard rock hotel um don't leave a lot of money in your jacket if you pop to breakfast folks because it might be gone when you go. um but the um the, that's next to the lighters plane which is quite close to the rikes museum as well and there's a little square and in in the winter they they turn it into an ice rink and people people are skating and you can sit outside the little calves. Uh, I watch the skaters if it's winter, and if it's summer, you can just watch Amsterdam being Amsterdam. And there's that pub all the English will know about it called the Bulldog because they all go there to get wrecked. Um, in that square somewhere, uh, the other end of the square. But I always think of there when, when I think of Irish coffees because I, I have a bit of a ritual of going to a certain cafe, ordering an Irish coffee and watching the, watching the world go by in that square when I'm in Amsterdam. And I dare say quite a few of the listeners will know exactly where I'm talking about um, because it's not far from there, the Paradiso either. That's just down the road so if you've been to see a band or our band play at the parody so you may well have ended up in that square having a having a beer or something um so when your question was when did irish coffee become, become a, a thing? thing well hmm. i don't know i think i first had one when i was really young in doncaster when you know you'd, you'd go to the Burnie Inn. I was going to say. I was going to say that's where I was trying to get to. <laughs> you'd go to, for me. It was the Burnie Inn. Yes, right? you'd go to the Burnie Inn and you'd have a steak, which was just so weird. I'd never had a steak in my life till I went to the Burnie Inn in Doncaster, because uh, I, I I was brought up entirely on egg and chips, you know, and the occasional Saturday salad. That was it. Um, so I'd never, never really, I didn't know steak existed until I went to a steakhouse. And you're thinking, oh, well, well, that's a bit, well, right, okay, then this must be a big occasion. And off we went, mum and dad and me and my sisters to the Burnie Inn and had, uh, had a steak and, and chips and probably a few mushrooms on the side and an Irish coffee. Would you like an Irish coffee? And I go, well, what, what's that? Well, it's all covered in cream and it's got plonk in it. Well, yes, then. Um, so that, that was my first Irish coffee. That, I guess, became a thing then. And that was the only time I probably would have ever had Irish coffee was if I went back to the Burnie Inn for a steak. In, uh, I think that wasn't, was it in the marketplace, the Burnie Inn back in the day? Can't have been far from the marketplace in Doncaster. And I tend to have Irish coffees when I'm in Holland, oddly enough. Um, 
or occasionally if I'm a, if I'm with Mosley because Ian doesn't really like drink. He doesn't like alcohol per se. He doesn't like the taste of most of it. Um, but he will have once a year. You know, he'll have he'll have an Irish coffee or he'll have a brandy Alexander because it's I guess it's all full of cream and shit and he can't really taste the alcohol so much in it. And uh, and then he'll get sick and vow never to drink again. That's, <laughs> that, that's <laughs> those are Ian's drinking habits, and he won't have a drink for another two years till I manage to cajole him into something else. Um, so when I'm with Mosley, I'll sometimes have an Irish coffee just just to join in, you know, because it's all he can cope with. Um, but if I'm in uh, if I'm in Holland, then. You know, there's certain things you've just got to have in certain mm. places. Um, and if you ask for a snowball in Holland, they look at you like you're asking them for a, you know, I don't know, a space alien on toast. Um, they don't really drink. They don't drink Advocar in Holland. It's a thing that old ladies sometimes have in very small glasses. Um, you know, the kind of old ladies that might go to... Um, a patisserie or something for a, a slice of cake in the afternoon might might have an advocar in a very small glass, almost like a you know a little like sh- a sherry, yeah, or a or a, or a shot, you know, like in a shot it, of advocar. In this part of the world, you'd have you'd have snaps, wouldn't you? You'd have a shot yeah. of snaps with or schnapps. Let me get this right. It's snaps in Sweden. It's it's schnapps in Germany. Is it snap? I could never. Have, I mean, it's not like I haven't spent a lot of time in Denmark. I never know how to pronounce it here, whether they call it schnapps or snaps. Maybe it's snaps here as well. Can't remember. Lynette would be mortified if she knew. Mine should be mortified if she knew half of what I say in these bloody podcasts. Um, Yes, so old ladies eating pastries might just order an advocat in Holland. But young rock and roll types... um, Never in a million years. And snowballs simply don't exist. So try asking for one in Amsterdam and they'll look at you. Looks will looks if looks could kill, that's the look you'll get from a barman. I, I have no idea how to draw this to a close. <laughs> <laughs> after that little after that little <laughs> ramble. I think my life is so caught up in my grandmother. You know, I think she got me into she probably got me into Irish coffees as well as snowballs and egg and chips. Um, so I'm probably a, in so many ways a product of her uh, influence, you know, and wrestling. She got me into mm. wrestling and horse racing, of course. Although I'm not really mad into horse racing, but there's still time. Well, tell you what, let's leave it there. Let's leave it with the beautiful, complicated individual that you are. Uh, you can you can go and rest. I think you perhaps ought to. Um. Lester Piggott. Yes, I'll go and rest. I'll go and rest. I'll go and lie. I'm, I keep saying that to Lynette. I have to rest now, darling. I'm here to rest. Don't give me anything to do. And so now she daren't give me anything at all to do because she thinks... You know, I'll go on about it to everybody forever. She'll never let me rest. She asked me to wash up. Can you believe it? Um, Yes, I'll go and rest, but I will still wash up. 
I might even do a bit of gardening before I finished. But, you know, it'll be voluntary garden gardening. Voluntary gardening. <sighs> Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.